0: Welcome everybody, I'm Sheila. And I'm Amy. We are longtime friends, short time business owners, part time gin drinkers, all the time karaoke masters, and brand new podcasters.
1: Join us as we interview whoever we want about whatever we want because We, we Bought a Mic. mic.
0: our fourth episode of We Bought a Mic, our good friend Nicole Nasseri is our guest today. Listen in as Nicole shares with us her stories from her life, from family tragedies to meeting her husband at med school, and her faith that carries her through it all. Hope you'll listen in as Nicole takes her turn on the mic. We're here with Nicole Nasseri. When did you move back to Topeka?
2: So we moved to Topeka in 2012. I. Didn't meet you right away because I kept hearing about you. And then I had to meet you because we um, live, because in, the we live in the same neighborhood. Right. Um, we live in the neighborhood of a lot of people are older in the neighborhood. Right. So it's exciting <laughs> when someone has kids who moves in. So anyway, it was a while. But one of the beautiful things about our neighborhood is having a neighborhood pool. And at some point we finally connected there.
1: Well, I also met you at the pool <laughs> because I was hanging out with Sheila. And she said, oh, my goodness, you need to go meet Nicole. And so that's when we met. And. And now we
0: all have kids at the same school. We do, which is so fun. Because you started off at CareProville. We did. When you moved here. Yep. When we moved here, we had a junior, an eighth grader, a
2: fifth grader, a kindergartner, and a three-year-old. It was a huge learning curve (laughs) to jump into school, but it was um, a great way to meet lots of different
1: people. I don't know that I remember where you moved from.
0: We moved here from Fort Collins, Colorado. Almost 10 years. I can't believe that you're not a newbie anymore here. <laughs> I know. And we,
2: Kevin and I were just talking about this um, the other day. It's like in some ways it feels like we've been here forever and then we go, has it really been that long? Right.
0: Okay, so Nicole, you grew up in western Kansas. Yes. Where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Goodland on I-70, just 17
2: miles from the Colorado border. Not super exciting. You had two siblings mm-hmm. and where did you fall in the family? So I was the oldest
0: and then um,
2: my brother, Brooke, and then my sister, Drew.
0: And tell us about um, your parents. What did they do? So
2: um, my mom has been, uh, was an elementary school teacher. What grade? Lots of grades, first, fourth, and fifth, maybe mostly. Mm -hmm. And then my dad did a variety of things. He had, when I was very young, he had managed different, before we moved to Goodland, and then when we moved back to Goodland, he ended
0: up managing the Chamber of Commerce there. So he knew a lot of like businesses that were coming to town, or did he actually manage the Chamber of Commerce? Well, it's Goodland, so they're right. <laughs> <having businesses laughs> coming to town.
2: He was trying to get businesses to come into town, like supporting the community of business yeah. owners and that sort of thing.
0: And at some point, I know
2: um, your dad got sick. Yeah, he actually got sick when I was five. Yeah,
1: he do you remember much
2: trauma. about that? Sure. Um, it kind of started actually very dramatically, yes, with um, an eye accident. He he was trying to do something on a car, trying to get a hose off of something, and was using a screwdriver, flicked it up, injured his eye badly, ended up needing a cornea transplant, and really um, struggled with that. Had a lot of immunosuppressive drugs and that sort of thing, and then developed lymphoma possibly as a result of all of the immunosuppression that he was on at the time so yeah so it kind of from the initial injury which i i remember i didn't see it but i remember us taking him to the hospital and all of that so that all of that started abruptly and from that time on you know there were doctors and hospitals and when was he diagnosed with lymphoma? We'll see. Well, the lymphoma, I believe, he was diagnosed. I believe when I was in kindergarten, in the eye accident. I think it happened maybe a year prior. I'm I'm not really sure because I was I was young and I don't remember the timeline that well.
0: And so, how long did he live after so, the diagnosis? He died when I was
2: ten. So he he lived for five years with the diagnosis. Yeah. And they were years he was he was quite sick. They were not good years for him, quality-wise. Right, right. Yeah. Lots of pain, lots of in and out of hospital and all of that. And yet, it was kind of just all we knew. And so he was still, I mean, he was a great dad. He was very active with us. He spent a lot, a lot of time talking about important things. I wish I'd been paying better attention. Right. right. <laughs> want to make sure he spent intentional time, which I appreciate. And so your sister would have been... She was a kindergartner when he died, and my yeah. brother was
0: a second grader when he died. Gosh, and, that's young.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: They were... And you have a different perspective mm-hmm. on it with children of your own, right? When you yes. think about the ages that they were. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't,
2: I guess I didn't. My dad was 39 when he died. And, um, at the time, I know everyone around us was talking about how young it was I mean right. to me it was my dad so it didn't seem that young but yeah when I when I hit that 39 right. marker I was like wow and my kids at the time our oldest three happened to be the same ages that myself and my brother and sister had been at when my dad was 39 and so that year was
0: actually kind of a, a, a yes it gave me a lot of perspective in hindsight had drugs have been developed had your dad had access to them, would he have lived longer? It's
2: hard to know because he really did have an aggressive lymphoma. So my mom and I were just talking about that the other day. She said, do you think in this day and age, and I really don't know. I mean, he ended up having a bone marrow transplant and being in a protective environment for six weeks, which was completely closed off from the world. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that went through had to be sterile. Um, He ended up being on experimental interferon at the time, which was thought to be the thing that was gonna, you know, cure cancer, mm-hmm. and so he actually did get a lot of cutting edge treatment at MD Anderson. Had one of the like I think the 17th Hickman catheter that was ever placed, like some things like that that were. He really did, even though we lived in small town, mm-hmm. we were able to. He was able to
0: go elsewhere and get really cutting edge treatment for the time. Yeah, I was going ask where he got his bone marrow transplant, because I'm sure yeah. they weren't doing that in yeah. Kansas yet. So. No,
2: M.D. Anderson, and he had an identical twin brother, and so... And he gave him that That's possible. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So did it take for a little while? Um, I, golly, I can't remember the timing close to the end of his life that was. That I didn't know if he year. ever went into remission with it, or... I don't know that he was ever declared in remission. Yeah. No. And those were words I wasn't paying attention to at right. that time, and so right. I'm thinking back on it from the perspective of a right and a ten year old, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you remember how your mom kind of responded after she lost your dad?
2: Yeah, you know, my we were really blessed that my parents had a great marriage, and my mom really was an incredible support to my dad through through his whole illness. One of the things I appreciate after he passed away, she was very intentional. She's a storyteller and so she would continue to tell lots of stories about him and really kept his memory alive. Um, there are some things I think back on and I'm not sure if they're, my memories are just because I've heard her tell right. them. So I really appreciate that. And then I, what I also appreciate is that she um, was very intentional about remaining close to my dad's side of the family. And so you Uh, guys were connected with cousins and family. We remained very connected with my dad's side of the family and partly because of them. But but honestly, a lot of it was because that was
0: my mom's mindset. So did any of your dad's health issues lead you in the direction of becoming uh, or going to med school and being a physician? Yeah, absolutely. That was, I mean, I was in the hospital a lot
2: from the time I was five to 10. And then even after that, when my my maternal grandfather was ill, we were up at the hospital a lot. And because when they were at the hospital, they weren't in the Goodland Hospital, we went to Colorado Springs. And so like, I was there (laughs) the whole time. So I think a lot of it was seeing how much hope healthcare workers can give families. But also, some of it was seeing sometimes not great ways patients were treated or families were treated and wanting to do better and be a compassionate person in someone's life. So that is kind of what drove me. And then I started, you know, I got a job in a nursing home as a, CNA. And then I got a job with a family who had a little boy who was severely brain damaged. And I got to do a lot of really cool, had a lot of great experiences with them. They took me to the University of Miami and we um, learned some biofeedback with this kid. And they took me to Philadelphia and we learned um, this kind of experimental therapy program. And just having those experiences in addition to, you know, that kind of drive to want to help people in a hard situation, really kept fueling that passion to want to go into medicine. I think from third grade, like I was going into medicine. That was what I was going right. to do with my life.
0: Yeah. And so you applied and you got in. And yeah. where did you Where did you get in? So I went to the University of Kansas. Okay. I am not an MD. Like mm-hmm. You are. But my husband is. So I watch someone go through medical school. So just kind of tell me what you thought about it what was hard and it was all, (laughs) um,
2: my husband is a physician. We have, we had very different experiences with medical school because he was a chemical engineering major. And so when he went to, when he went to medical school, it was all interesting and honestly, not as difficult (laughs) as chemical engineering in his mind. Um, when I went there, I, have never had to work nearly so hard. And also being around people who are all really ambitious and really hard workers and high achieving. And in some ways that's helpful, but they're also really competitive. And that's kind of a little bit of a high stress experience. It was challenging. It was interesting. I grew a lot. Um, glad I did it. But it was a, it was a very challenging four years. For sure. Because
0: you are, you are an MD, but you did not go on to do residencies. Is that correct? Right? So I have, I'm like a medical
2: student who graduated. So right. I have a certificate that says I'm a doctor of medicine, but I never did do a residency. Why did you not do a residency? Well, at the time, my husband still had a year left of residency when I finished medical school. And we had our first child three weeks before I graduated from medical school. And so our thought was, I would spend that year at home, he would finish his residency, and then that way we would kind of be in the same transition point mm-hmm. and and could go from there. But, you know, life happened. A, a couple of things. One is that being a parent was a lot more challenging mm-hmm. <laughs> than I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. So there was that. And we began to realize that we wouldn't, I would not be able to do a residency unless we had someone living with us and helping take care of our child, which did not feel great to mm-hmm. us. And then a week before our daughter was born, my brother was killed in an accident. So there was a lot of, it was just a very, very difficult year. And as Kevin and I, my husband and I were talking about it through that year. You know, having lost my dad at a young age, having lost my brother and thinking I would never regret time spent with my kids, but I might regret time I didn't spend with them. Anyway, all of that helped kind of then shape the trajectory. And, and it took a few years for us to completely let go of the idea of going back um, to residency. But... Because that is hard work. That is hard work. And yeah, yeah. I kind of feel in some ways like I trained for a marathon, but didn't run it. It was a lot of work, a lot of expense, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we've been really blessed. That it took, took a while, but we were able to um, retire that debt, um, thankfully. So it was a it was a hard decision, but um, in retrospect, it's, like I don't understand really why it was so hard because it you was an obvious decision, anything, right? right? But it was hard at the time because I think I was so single-minded from the time I was very young about this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't shift very
0: easily. <laughs> no. Maybe it was shifted for you a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll talk about your brother in a little bit, mm-hmm. but you um, met your husband at KU, right? I did,
2: yeah. And where did you meet? We met in the ER.
0: Okay, tell us we that did. story. Right <laughs> we did.
2: So I was a second-year student, and I we had these observation times that we were scheduled to be in the ER, so I went in there. Um, my husband at the time was a surgery resident. The very first thing he did when I walked in was he was tasked with sewing up the last duration on the forehead of a little two-year-old girl. They put her in a papoose, which is kind of like a restraint, which I thought was just awful. There was a nurse holding her down and he's stitching her up and the nurse had to go get something. So I'm standing against the wall and he points to me and says, come here. And so I'm laying down over this poor little two-year-old girl and. He was so quick and did it so well and so beautifully. And she was screaming her head off and popped up. And then she was just fine and happy as a lark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was amazed. It was stunning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I followed it- him around like a puppy dog for the night. You guys decided to, but I mean, how do you date in a, in a, in that situation only because it is time consuming and it's hard to find time.
2: Well, it was funny because, you know, he went home that night and told his roommate who happened to be a classmate of mine that he had met me. The roommate was very encouraging that he should call me. So encouraging in fact that he taped my phone number to Kevin's door (laughs) (laughs) until he finally did call me but yeah kevin was on an ER rotation where he was working 24 hours on and then had 24 hours off so we went out i think it was a couple weeks after we initially met went out for dinner and then after that we pretty much saw each other every other day right the <laughs> time off and we laugh about that now because i don't know that he slept that whole month um <laughs> in between all of all of that but and it wasn't there wasn't a lot of going out out right? right. for dinner a couple times and then it was studying together and, right. you know, catching a quick, maybe a quick lunch in the cafeteria or something like that, but playing Frisbee in the park, you know. And then you married two years
0: later? Is that yeah. right?
1: And now a word from our sponsor. Okay, so we
0: own a photo booth company called Birdie Booth. We 100% believe that our photo booth will make your party more fun. We've seen it happen. We have great digital props, cool backdrops, and fun photo options. Pictures are sent via text and can be downloaded or shared directly to
1: lots of social media platforms. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, birdiebooth.com, and be sure to contact us for our latest party pricing specials. If you want your party to be fun, you need Birdie Booth.
0: So Nicole, we talked about how we have a few things in common, like, you know, my husband's a physician here, you and your husband are physicians. And uh, another thing we have in common that we found out is that both of our siblings went to Nebraska (laughs) and they were both athletes there. My sister was a freshman when your brother, Brooke Berringer, was a senior. And she tells the story of being in the food line. I don't know what they call that. Train, training table, training right? table. they're at yeah. the training table. And, um, he came up to her and I mean, he was the big man on campus <laughs> and, you know, not only good looking, but also the reputation of being the nicest guy there came up to her and just said, Hey, I hear you are from Kansas. And she just couldn't believe that this kind of star was talking to her, but Brooke is your brother. Yeah. Tell us about him. He was a great guy.
2: And that doesn't surprise me. Your story doesn't surprise me because he never really thought of himself as the big man on campus. He was always a small town western Kansas mm-hmm. kid. He played football at Nebraska. He was just kind of a had a quiet charisma. He um, was really a huge hunter, um, partly because that was a big thing in my dad's side of the family. And so my dad had taken him, I mean, out of school when he was a kindergartner to take him in a little Mm-hmm. You know, doing things, again, I think seeing that he had limited time probably wanting to make the most of it. The memories that my brother had and my dad were all around hunting, mm-hmm. and so that became a big part of his life. What's funny, and of course in Nebraska, that's huge, and so my brother ended up making a lot of really cool friendships with farmers who had land, mm-hmm. and he'd go ask permission to hunt on, and he had a lot of varied interests. So football is what people remember about him, but he had so many other interests and that kind of thing. So it's fun. It's fun to talk about the football piece of it. Because for there people who don't know,
0: it. he was a quarterback at Nebraska. He was. During, I mean, I know for sure, 94, but what were the 90. years? Right, right.
2: So what, what year did he get there? I don't know. 94, he was a junior, but he had registered his freshman year. So. 90? Yeah, must have been. i year 91. Yeah, so he was back at quarterback there. And Tommy Frazier was a superstar. And Tommy... Um, became injured early in the season, the ninety-four season. You know, he was Tommy was the Heisman Trophy candidate and all that kind of stuff. And So there were a lot of people who thought the season's over for Nebraska. But um, my brother stepped in, and in I believe it was the second game he played, he actually was injured. He he took a really hard hit right before halftime, cracked some ribs. He ended up. Uh, having a pneumothorax, you know, his lung deflated, and he played the rest of the game. (laughs) Um, So he was tough. And he impressed people. He impressed people with that. It was probably not wise, but he was (laughs) tough. He was tough, and he ended up, you know, winning all of the games he started that season, and then um, that took him into the Orange Bowl, and Tommy was able to return as starter and they kind of both played that game and ended up winning the national championship we're so there that was exciting we were there I
0: how many games were you there, there? like how oh many of goodness. his his games
2: we went to as many of his home games as we could and we'd been doing that I even mean, even before he was really playing much because uh, it was just really fun to get to do but I can't remember how many games we made it to the majority of his home games for sure. And we made it to the Missouri game, which was really fun. Yeah, it was, it was fun to to get to
1: be a part of that for sure. I think, you know, I'm married to a native (laughs) Nebraskan and a huge Husker fan. And we were dating, I was dating my husband during that time. So I watched, you know, watched that whole season play out. And I'm pretty sure I was maybe in love with Brooke. (laughs) On I just—I just, have, club, yeah. I um, just yeah. was so um, impressed with all the things that you—you you just mentioned. He's been memorialized in several ways. There, right? Yeah, I know there's a statue outside, and mm-hmm. I think for all of the people that have gone through that football program—Heisman Trophy winners and national champions and people that went into the NFL—what an honor that he's yeah. memorialized that way right. for. I think, and, and I'd like to hear what you think, just for his character and his Absolutely. who he was as a person.
2: Well, and what was really cool, I mean, honestly, losing the starting job was heartbreaking for him. Um, did really he talk was, about that to you? Yeah, it was it was barely disappointing, yeah. for sure. Um, but he wanted to be a good teammate, a good team mm-hmm. player, and I think he did a good job with that. Um, it was hard, then, the following season, his last season there, that he played hardly at all. And that was very difficult. And what what I'm most proud of is that um, the time, this wasn't really a thing that athletes did, but he saw when he would help at football camps and stuff like that, how important it was to for the kids to have a good role model, to have a kind word from these guys that they kind of idolized. And so he started realizing he had a platform and he, Um, was asked to speak at school assemblies, and he was asked to attend fundraisers, and and he started visiting hospitals and doing all of this, and just kind of quietly, again, it wasn't, that wasn't really a thing that people did. Now, now programs have actual faculty, you know, on the programs that help organize all of that stuff, but um, he was kind of doing it on his own, and what's cool is they have Nebraska now has, well, a couple things in his honor. We get to go back once a year. There's a a scholarship awarded in his memory, and that was funded by um, his good friends of Sawyer Brown, who did a a fundraiser and and funded that scholarship. Um, And so that's fun that we get to go back and be a part of that presentation. But then at the spring game, they have a citizenship team that they have started in his honor. And so they have different criteria that a football players meet all these criteria. And I think, and it's all, it's a lot of it is character stuff, but I think there might be a minimum GPA and then, um, hours of community service and kind of other things with this criteria, they get to be on the Brooke citizenship team. And it started off only a few players qualified. And as they have gone through the years, it's become a big deal. And so players really try hard to qualify for it. And I can't remember this like last, last season, how many, but now it's huge. It's huge. Like it's, it is a goal. And it drives players. Cars. It drives players to um, display good character, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And part of that is staying out of trouble, right. which is nice incentive. And then, you know, kind of those positive
0: things that they, that are encouraged to do. Mm-hmm. So when you said he found this niche kind of first speaking at hospitals and what started that for him, do you think? You know,
2: I think, again, it kind of goes back to always being that small town Mm -hmm. kid. And I remember he went to a football camp in Denver where he got to, when he was in high school, and he got to throw the ball with um, Gary Kubiak and how cool it was that Gary Kubiak talked to him. Mm -hmm, And I think like kind of even remembering how much that meant to him and realizing how much that means to these little kids who are standing on the sidelines and wanting autographs and and realizing that it means something when he talks with people. And one of the things that we we heard over and over and over after his death from people, he was my best friend. He was my best Mm -hmm. friend. And I remember hearing from a janitor who cleaned the locker room how he would always ask about his family and take time to chat with him, you know, not just walk on by and how much that meant to him. And so I think, again, it comes from those kind of small town roots, mm-hmm. not, not ever thinking of yourself as the big man on campus, right. but then realizing that it is significant to people when you show interest in them and you spend intentional time and in conversation with them. It's meaningful.
0: Well, and so his life ended at, it- what, 22? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, that was really hard. We were, we were expecting our first born, and I was just a couple of days away from my due date. Um, and you were living in Kansas City? We were living in Kansas City. There was going to be, a couple of days after that, there was going to be a national championship celebration in Lincoln and then the NFL draft. And even though my brother didn't play his last year, he had um, tested well enough in the combines and he had um, performed well enough. You know, the 94 season that he was expected to be drafted for the NFL. And so there was a lot of exciting things happen. He actually had been in Kansas City um, the day before and had stopped by to see me unexpectedly. we got to spend a couple hours together, which was very cool and just a neat gift in retrospect. So Kevin got home. We were. Watching sports, we were eating dinner, and they flashed my brother's picture up. And I thought they, because they'd been talking about the draft, I thought right. they were going to talk about his prospects for the draft. And um, that's how we learned he had been killed in a small plane crash. And one of his interests was flying. He had his private license, private pilot's license, and loved to fly. Was out flying and and crashed. And so a lot of our family learned of his death. Through TV news reports, that was that was very horrible. hard. <laughs> it was it was hard. Now looking back, for a long time, I was very angry about that because that was the time before social media. I know that happens mm-hmm. actually a lot now, mm-hmm, just right. through social media, which is unfortunate. Surprising that it happened then. It is. It was surprising, and it looking back, and it was unconfirmed. We have unconfirmed reports, oh, you know. Right. But then they showed the wreckage and all of that and descriptions and it was just really hard. And so, um, but one of the things looking back, I've talked to so many people who've said, when I heard the news, I started praying for your family. I do see kind of God's hand in it. Mm-hmm. We were able to then get in the car and drive across Kansas and the whole night we packed car seat and playpen cause we weren't sure, you know, if we were gonna Where come you home with deliver, a baby, right? if we're gonna deliver somewhere along the way. And, and all of that. Was the funeral in Goodland? The funeral was in Goodland. They had it at the field house. and um, Just packed? It was packed mm-hmm. with my brother. He was flying with a friend of his who was the brother of his girlfriend, family friend, a good friend of a lot of my cousins, um, and they both were killed. So it was a tragedy for another family as well. And But yes, the field house was packed, in Nebraska- They bust the football players down for the funeral. And and it was beautiful to get to hear testimony after testimony of my brother's faith. And that was, you know, something he'd been, he'd grown up as a Christian and then kind of the disappointment of not being able to play that last season and just processing a lot of different things through that. He made the decision to dedicate his life to Christ and to to live for Christ. And so all of that came out in the funeral service, which ended up having a huge impact on people. We still hear stories because it was recorded and mm-hmm. it's been played, you know, for different news outlets and things like that. And so it was neat that he got to still be a testimony for Christ, you know, through that. But he was interviewed just a few days before his death, when they were interviewing him about the NFL draft, and said, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And he said, I don't know if I'll be playing in the NFL or what I'll be doing, but I just hope that I'm living my life for Christ. And so that was just me, again, a way that I think God used a really hard thing for good in people's lives.
0: And so you were pregnant at the time.
2: Yeah. And I can't imagine. It was very, very emotional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually several days. By the time I lived in the funeral was, I think two or three days past my due date. And so, where did you have? So we were able to get back to Kansas City, and I ended up needing to be induced um, late. So then we ended up, you know, OB gave me a couple days to rest after we got home, and then they they induced and then we ended up having a beautiful baby girl and tell us her name her name is Brett of course of course her her name is actually Ellen Brooke but she goes by Brooke
0: and today how old is she she is 25 25, I know because you just had the anniversary of of your brother's passing and and I know that you and I've talked about or we talked briefly that your kids are are kind of the same ages that Mm -hmm. that Brooke was when he passed yeah. away, right? Yeah, yeah. my son. Your right son. now, our old, our older son is, 22. Right, and he looks a lot. Like him. <laughs> he looks just like him, and, and and has the character of him as well. Oh, well, right. Thank you. I mean, we talked earlier about the perspective that you have with your dad dying in, in those ages, and yeah. then having children at that age. So now you have children who are the same ages, and how do you, how do you look at that, differently?
2: Yeah, you know, I I can when I brother died. I was a few years older than him. I mean, yeah. knew he died young, obviously, but now it, it does like give me a different perspective and kind of a shocking perspective mm-hmm. for sure to see my son exactly the same age. You know, it's, it's one of those things we, I don't know, for some reason, most of us go through life expecting that we will live to old age, but we aren't guaranteed. We're not guaranteed another day on this earth. And so it is um, a constant reminder that how we spend our time counts, mm-hmm. how we spend our life counts, what we do with the time God gives us is, is meaningful. And so neat and exciting to see our kids grow into adulthood and make choices and try to make choices that that are significant and meaningful.
0: Mm-hmm. I just think of the, the fact that he could leave such a legacy at such a young age. People don't make always their best choices that young in life. Yeah, for sure. You know, so yes. So yes. the fact that he's known not only for football, but almost more for the man that he was. So, Nicole, you kind of talked about faith and how your brother dedicated his life to Christ and and I know that you are also a faithful person and you hold a leadership position here in Topeka for Bible Study Fellowship, otherwise known as BSF.
2: Yeah, I started off doing BSF in
0: Colorado when
2: my kids were little. And it's been just a huge part of my faith journey. It's really helped me grow to know the Lord better through his word. So it uses this fourfold approach where you do your personal lesson and then you have a lesson discussion in a small group and then you hear a lecture and then you have notes, which are kind of a commentary on it. By the time you're done with all four pieces, you've learned something. When we moved here to Topeka, I was asked into the leadership and I was a children's leader for a few years and then asked into um, different roles. And now I am the teaching leader, which is not... Something I ever would have anticipated in my life doesn't match. Outside I your guess, comfort zone? Way outside my <laughs> comfort zone. Public speaking is one of my biggest fears in life. And
0: so it's funny that I'm now lecturing. It's because luxury. you're very good at it. Oh, yeah, I know. it might, you might be fearful of it, but you're very good I at
2: will. It. I will tell you I've learned a lot about depending on God, for sure. Which has been wonderful because God is faithful to equip those that he calls to serve him and we say it but it's a, it's completely different to to live it to live it and experience it and so that's been a huge blessing and for many years you know I prayed that God would because I'm, I'm lazy I'm, I'm not very disciplined spiritually and so I pray that he would give me a deeper love for his word and help me really love studying it which i do but when i don't have accountability i don't do it well and so um what's funny is instead of just like changing my heart and my desire he just kept giving me more responsibility (laughs) and (laughs) I I need to step
0: out in obedience and so so now you are in charge of it in Topeka
1: but every week every week
0: you come up with a lecture then yes and for other people to know this is non-denominational yeah anyone can join yes we welcome anyone I mean you don't even have to be a Christian to join you just want to learn about God's word we welcome anyone so it's a good place of community for women if you're looking if anyone who listens to this podcast Mm -hmm. is interested yes Um, You meet on Wednesdays. We do. We meet Wednesday
2: mornings. We meet at our host church is First Southern Baptist Church on 19th Gage. So we are an interdenominational ministry, but they so graciously host us there. We're going to be meeting from 930 to 11, starting September 16th. And again, you can can register at bsfinternational.org.
0: So Nicole, BSF is appropriate for any age woman. They offer a child care program, which for young moms is is really what makes them able to come to a study like this. So tell us a little yeah. bit about the children's program. So it's great.
2: And the children's program, I mean, it is child care because we care for your children, but it is so much more. Our children's program from birth to age five, the preschool program, we have five different levels, five different classrooms. And the teachers trained each week. And even from the itty bitty babies, they're singing little preschool hymns with them. They're giving them a Bible story. They're giving them a memory verse talking about God's word. And it is so cool to get to see how much these kids retained. It's a It is free of charge. It is a wonderful program. And then we were so excited a few years ago to be able to add a school program for our homeschool families. So it's just a cool opportunity to get young kids Mm -hmm. plugged into a quality program as well.
1: Okay, Nicole, we like to end our podcast with 13 questions. And these are just really quick questions. First thing that pops into your head okay ready yes okay sweet or savory sweet savory <laughs>
2: <laughs> you both. Say? Both. <laughs> can you say both yes
1: you can your dream vacation <sighs> I don't know. mountains beach what do you keep on your bedside table
2: hmm. um my cell phone usually a book or stack of books some that i'm reading some that i have fantasy of reading something <laughs> <laughs> what was your first job My first job was cleaning rooms, um, as a maid in a hotel. I was 14,
0: 14. Yes. So did you see horrible hotel rooms? Yes, I
2: did. I did see horrible hotel rooms.
0: So if my kids complain
2: about cleaning a bathroom, (laughs) I'm like. You should have "Ah." seen what I saw. Right. right? (laughs) Right. Who was
1: your favorite teacher and why? Oh
2: goodness. Miss Sondell, my fifth grade teacher, the year my dad died, she was so gracious and compassionate and loving to me. And she was, she was a wonderful teacher beside that point. But I'm just very thankful that I had someone like her that traumatic year. What was your first car? It was a Ford Mustang. Was it nice? It was an old one. It was like a, it was like a vintage one so it wasn't something that then we, my brother and sister both drove it it wasn't really a car that you then take to college right, or right. take on the interstate <laughs> but you weren't embarrassed but to be driving one, yeah Kansas tootling around it was just like yeah. yeah
1: uh Booker Bench.
2: book what are you reading right now oh goodness so I'm just finishing up a book called all the Shaw's men about the 1950s Some I forget which year Coup, CIA sponsored Coup of the Iranian Prime Minister. So that's, that's fascinating. That was something when my husband told me, I was like, that did not happen. And sure enough, it did. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then I, but I, I love any type of thriller, crime novel or something like that,
1: just for fun. And what was the last text that you sent? To Sheila, saying, almost (laughs) there. (laughs) Hi. Morning or night person? Night. And what's your favorite movie? Oh,
2: goodness. I don't know. I don't know what my favorite movie is. I enjoy movies.
1: Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. And a special thanks to our guest, Nicole. Check out our show notes for links about Nicole's brother, Brooke, and more information about BSF. Be sure to subscribe to We Bought a Mic on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you on the other side of the mic.